Hello and welcome to the Flight of the Champions podcast. This is the show where listeners come to learn all about the art of unlocked racing. My name is Jeff Armand and I am your host. Now, good day to you. This is Jeff Armand again coming to you from Victoria Falls. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 11 and today we're going to talk about what we've learned from the use of tracker birds and how can we apply that? What value is it to you, the, the listener? Why do we use trackers? That's the first question. And it's really to gain information, not only for ourselves, but for the general community or racing pigeon community. What have we seen from the trackers? And what they do, and how they, they navigate and, and, and what we can actually learn from that. And it's actually, uh, it, very, very inf- uh, useful information, I believe. Some of the stuff we've seen, we haven't managed to fathom out why, but we've had pigeons flying as high as 1,700 meters above ground level, and that's 5,577 feet above ground level. Phenomenal. Why do they do that? We don't know. We can only guess. Maybe to avoid hawk attacks, and there are many. Maybe to take advantage of certain wind which is a highly likely situation it's also cooler at that altitude in, in the hot weather they can get up there because there's thermals they can take them up and uh, they find it more comfortable to fly there but we don't really know for sure why they fly at that altitude there are certain things that we know first thing is that landmarks they most definitely use landmarks the other thing is other navigational uh, skills that they've got might be magnetic uh, and it's highly likely to be magnetic and navigation from the sun the moon and the stars pigeons can use one of those more than others or they can use a combination of those i think the better pigeons are the ones that are able to do a combination what is what is influencing these senses you know one is is the visibility and we talk about the sun if this rain it definitely or overcast weather definitely influences the ability to orientate initially on some pigeons. It also influences the ability to see landmarks that they may have got used to. How do we know that uh, the pigeons use landmarks? So from the tracking, we've seen pigeons that have gone over previous points which aren't in line with the, the race uh, direction. The general direction, yes, but not directly in line. They've gone and meandered from one point to another, illustrating to us that it's an area that they, they know of. And we've, we've had cases where pigeons will fly to a water point that is way off course, that they've passed over previously, and they've known that there's water there, and they've, they've learned and stopped and drunk at that point. And the other thing is, and this is something that affects us quite quite badly, is that we've got a very prominent gorge below the Victoria Falls, which is 25 to 30 kilometers long. It's very deep and uh, it's full of raptors. It has three different types of falcons nesting there. We've got peregrine falcons, lanner falcons and titan falcons. The titans aren't really a problem for the pigeons, but the lanners and the peregrines are. And that is a really prominent landmark for pigeons. And when they fly up, they hit that gorge and they fly along the gorge and they they run the gauntlet the whole way. You know, what we try to do is actually 
and we will be doing is we're trying to get the birds to fly on a different route over known uh, uh, landmarks to see if we can get them to not to fly along that to try and avoid that route that will take them into the gorge that is something that they will pick up and i think people general uh, pigeon fancy can use that really to their advantage you know we, we've seen with trackers we don't put tracker rings on all the birds but we put them on mostly on the same pigeons and if one gets lost we will replace it with another but we have birds that fly the whole season so we're able to look at the data that that comes from that and and what we find is that some pigeons will follow the same route week in and week out regardless of where they're from towards the latter end they will fly a certain route and they'll they know that they, the ground you know even if there's not a, a prominent feature that they will pick up they know that the ground they they're used to it and they will fly on that route you'll find some pigeons in fact fly in an arc they won't necessarily fly straight and what happens is you end up with a pigeon that's flying what people will say off the pace but they they're actually flying the same speed as the others but they just don't fly straight so the bird that that, that wins is the one that flies the straightest and I believe that you can actually train them to fly straight by by training them and tossing them what happens in a, a club and private loss uh, loft um, situation is people will train on the most convenient route where they happen to be going in a certain direction to work or they go in a certain direction to uh, for business and they'll take their pigeons to train and the pigeons will get used to that route and even if uh, you're tossing them without other pigeons, they'll fly onto that route and they'll follow that route. And if it's not directly to your house, they'll do a big arc away from where they should be flying. In my own personal experience and what I've seen to, to verify this, if you were to select a route that you think is the most desirable and you toss on that route, find the best points along that route and get the bird to fly straight from that liberation point to your house, even if it's way out of the way, you've got to do that to get them to do that. And you will you'll find that uh, three, four, five tosses in that direction will get them to start to swing into that direction. And to an extent, we have to be very careful because uh, at Victoria Falls, there's very few roads. It, it's a lot of bush and game areas and so on. They don't have suitable roads for us to train. So we have to use a tar road which takes them in a certain route, which takes them down, which they hit the gorge on. So we're having to look at other ways of uh, getting the pigeons to fly the way we want them to fly. And this means going sometimes not on the route, but off the line, away from the line that we would like them to take, or we want them to keep away from. The, the danger with that, and, and one must also remember this when, when training your own pigeons, if you're tossing offline and you do it half a dozen times the danger with that is when you go back onto line and you liberate the pigeons they'll fly in that general direction initially and they might fly for quite a while before they realize hang on that's not the right way so the most prudent thing to do is to keep mixing it up you know a couple in the on the line you want and a couple back on the race line that you you want him to go but in our case, we're trying to draw them uh, more to the west. The reason for that is because we want them away from the gorge and we want them to try and fly over Wanky National Park, which has got a lot of water holes, uh, which are kept full of water during the, the dry season with pumps 
uh, solar pumps, so there's a lot of water around. The problem with that is there's also a lot of raptors, but there's thousands of doves and other birds that the raptors can feed on. It's not just pigeons. But water is important, and, and we've analyzed it. Why do we have such difficult races at, say, 400 kilometers? You know, 400 kilometers, birds need water. And if, this, if it's hot and dry and there's no water, they, they really struggle. So that Wanky National Park, which is really, really it's thousands of, of hectares, of uh, hundreds of thousands of hectares of, of extent and, and lots of water. And that's about the area that the birds would need to really find water. So we're trying to find a route now that's coming here, which will swing them across uh, and to fly over that. Um, but it means a lot of extra driving, a lot of sort of round routes to get them to fly on that line. But how does that affect uh, the individual? It's, it's just getting back to the point that if you toss online, the pigeons will fly on, on that line. And, and we've seen, with these trackers, we've seen birds that will always fly, fly the same way. Now, which are the better birds? How do you know which are your better pigeons amongst those trackers? Well, if you look at them and analyze the, the data, you'll find some trackers will fly the same way. It tells me that they're actually leaders or they know where they're going. You get another one that goes a different route every time you fly it. It's flying with different groups of pigeons. It just follows other pigeons. And in one, on one occasion, it'll go west. The other occasion, it goes east. And, and the next time, it goes straight. It just happens to, to go with the flow, you know. And uh, it's really not, not the sort of pigeon that one would want to breed from. Uh, or that might be a winner because it's lucky and it drops in at the final race because it's going with the flow, you know. And I think club racing, if you look at the majority of federations, unions, national races, you've got what people refer to as the drag. Now, what is the drag? The drag generally is where the majority of pigeons go. And I remember uh, at the outset I mentioned the average pigeons. I mean, 90-odd percent of pigeons are average. And the average pigeon will just flow, go along with the other pigeons, and then, then they've got to turn and make their way back eventually, and, and they're late. Take birds, for instance, from the United Kingdom, like Mark Gilbert, Jeff and Catherine Cooper, Marion Mills, these sort of guys. They've got pigeons that do reasonably well, or very well, actually, in, in the international races. And, and, and those birds cannot do that by flying with other pigeons. They have got to break from the liberation point, and they've got to fly across the sea from a long point. The majority of pigeons will fly with the drag, they'll go with the, the masses, and then they'll cross further up the coast and then sort of north of France. They, they'll cross to the UK. But the birds that do well are the ones that have to break from the beginning, and that has, takes an exceptionally good pigeons. I think they actually are, have an advantage over a lot of people because they, can, they know they're good pigeons because the pigeons show them that. And I also think pigeon people that are living away from what they would call the hot spots, where if you get a, a good trap, you could win the race. They're the people that live away from those areas, those pigeons have got to break and fly and, and, and go ahead. And you'll find that they don't get lots of pigeons coming together because they, those birds have got to break. What you're looking at is clever pigeons. And, and I think the trackers have shown us how to do that. You know, you can analyze them. Look, not everyone can go and put tracker rings on all these pigeons, but you must know the birds that consistently come in the top are the better pigeons. You know, that it's not just the one that wins a single race because they happen to be in the right pack and the right group and so on. You've got to have a bird that's consistent. That is uh, precisely the reason why we started the Super Ace. 
because that's what we believed was the best way to find those supers. It's not really, unfortunately, not that popular because it, it favors the birds with the really, really good, the people with the really, really good pigeons, and it, it actually excludes a lot of people with the average bird. We've redesigned our program and prize money to, to suit the average guy because that's the majority of people. We've got to try and satisfy as many people as possible. But we'll still keep with the super ace because, um, you know, we want to find the, the better pigeons and, and the best pigeons. And uh, that will be uh, portrayed by a bird that is consistently flying in the front. And it's regardless of the weather condition. It could be a tailwind, it could be headwind, it could be crosswind. They, they're always there somewhere. And they don't have to win it every time, but they're there and they, they accumulate the points for that. Now, just talking about the wind for a minute and, and what we've seen with, with trackers, the vast majority of pigeons will, will go, as I say, with the flow. And when a pigeon orientates at the liberation point, they get their bearings and they head off in what they believe is the right direction. But like an aircraft, if an aircraft takes its bearing from one city to another and doesn't adjust its bearings as they're flying, they will end up way off course. And that's what happens with a pigeon. He, they go in and they're not adjusting. And if they don't adjust, they will end up going past or way offline. And then they struggle because they have to turn and fly in. If it's a crosswind that's pushed them across, they have to turn and then and fly into that crosswind. And, and that makes it even more difficult. So you, you always get a, a bunch of pigeons in these fast races that, that put up very high velocities. And then you get gaps. And then you get lots of pigeons that come very late. So you, you might get 10 or 15% of your pigeons at very high velocities. And... The perception is that it's a blow home and it's an easy race. My experience is it's far from easy. The most difficult races are where these birds have had to struggle to, to stay online. And, and it makes a pigeon tired as well because they've got to continually adjust their course and navigate. And, and if you look at the tracking results of the birds that come in the front, they, they stay online regardless. The majority of them go offline and they go as I say with the flow and that's your Mr. Average Pigeon that just flies with, with, with the pack. So what happens is we, we in our particular race it, and you'll find it also in your own racing situation, those pigeons that go with the flow and fly with the mass, they, they're not really the right pigeons that you want to be selecting from. But you're fortunate in that, you know, the bird that's, that's coming home in the front all the time, you know it's going to be the bird that's got the it's got the intelligence. We talk about visibility, you know, and a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the sun must be visible when you liberate pigeons, uh, should be overcast, misty, and so on. And I mean, that's that certainly plays a big role, but there's a lot of senses the birds use. One is visibility. Now, how does poor visibility affect them? Well, with poor visibility, they can't see the landmarks. And if they're using the sun or the stars or whatever to, to navigate with, and if it's overcast, they don't have that, they can't navigate with those. So they're relying on another sense, which a lot of people have said is, is a major contributor to their homing ability, and that's the magnetic fields around the Earth. I think it, it does play a big role. And we know that when you get these solar flares around, you know, last year we had a particularly bad race from hotspot four. And the question's asked, why, why is that? And we checked uh, the NASA, the information from NASA, and they had, they had put out a warning a few hours prior to the race. We weren't even aware of it. But they said that it was extremely high radiation effect from the solar flare. 
and that put out a warning to aircraft and other people that would be reliant on, on navigation that it could affect their navigation. If a solar flare interferes with the magnetic fields and it affects navigation in aircraft, it most certainly would have an effect on pigeons if they rely on the magnetic fields. So that's another aspect that one needs to consider. But what are we looking for? We're looking for a pigeon that can still home despite these obstacles. Because if they only rely on magnetic fields or only rely on visibility or landmarks, if they can only rely on one of those, they're not going to make the grade, I don't think. Regarding visibility, now how do we know that the pigeons use the visibility or how the visibility aspect would, would affect a pigeon? We have from our trackers, we've seen pigeons that fly at night. And then on one occasion, it was totally dark. There was just nothing. There was no moon at a point in time. And the pigeon flew for hours. It had gone down at a point where it had knew there was water. It went off course and it went to a place that it had gone over before. It hadn't stopped. But it stopped at that point and drank water. And it stayed for a number of hours there. And then after dark, in fact, at midnight, it started to fly again. And it was a clear sky, but there was no moon. And that pigeon flew, and they fly very slowly at night. They don't fly at, at pace. They fly slowly, obviously they can't see anything. And a pigeon, by the way, is, is almost blind at night. You can, if, it's, if it's dark, you can go and pick it up off the ground. They can't see you, but how does it fly? And it's only flying from an instinct. And that particular pigeon flew until the moon came up. It was just a small moon. It adjusted its course slightly, it did a circle when the moon came up at 2 o'clock in the morning and then flew 115 kilometers to the loft. It came over the loft and it didn't stop because there's no lights, but it stopped at the railway station in town and then at light the next day it came back. So what does that teach us? It's not only landmarks that we're talking about. It's not the visibility aspect. It's, it's more reliability on some sort of other homing instinct like magnetic fields, for instance. But that bird also could identify landmarks that it had previously seen. So there's a bird with at least two of the attributes that one needs. That's, uh, that to me is a fascinating revelation that we've got. And I don't think there's very many people that are aware of this. But how do we use it for ourselves? One thing that uh, we've also learned from the trackers is that, and I may have alluded to it uh, before, but it's not necessarily the pigeon that flies the fastest. Well, we think it's flying the fastest. It's a pigeon that flies directly in the straightest line. And the pigeon will take the route that, that he's used to and the one that he's comfortable with. And it might be a lot further than the direct route. And, you know, how do you apply that at home? Teach the bird to fly on a direct route. And he's more likely to be a front flyer than the guy that will fly where he's used to flying. And, and if they fly at the same speed, if you look at the, the trackers and you look at the, you analyze the speed, they mostly fly at the same speed, but a lot of them just fly further. And if they always fly in the same direction, they, they're not bad pigeons. They just, that's their route. So that's something to learn, you know, and I think a lot of it is education. And in a one loft, it's not easy to to go and teach the guy to fly a particular route. It's not easy. At, at home you can do it because you have small numbers, you have the time, and you can liberate in singles or double up, I prefer, because they, they fly a bit faster when there's two pigeons in one. But you do enough of that, they will fly, and they will fly the route you want them to fly. If you're looking for, try and combine a few things uh, 
together in training. Find the route you want the bird to come on. Start at a short distance. You don't want him to get used to flying to on the wrong line and then still coming home from your liberation point. Start short and gradually increase it. But when you toss the bird, make sure it's coming straight home in a good time before you move to the next point. So you progress like that until you, you get to a stage where you can start jumping them further distances. But you'll know, if you have trackers in amongst them, you'll know that they're flying straight. And then you, you can actually train the bird and you can condition them to fly the route you want to fly. I know of a case uh, of a friend of mine who he was flying pigeons in South Africa. He moved from Zimbabwe and he, he lived on a mine um, or a power station to the east of Johannesburg. And everybody in that area would take the N4 from Whitbank and Middleburg to Pretoria and Johannesburg and they would take the pigeons training. It's beautiful roads, open, you can go fast, but they would fly on that route and even the people that he worked with would go that way and what happened they've got quite a big union there it's 110 members or so and the pigeons would fly every week they're flying from the south they'd go up to that n4 fly along the n4 and end up in the different lofts of course the guys in the first on the first drop would would be winning the races but the guys at the end which was normally where this guy lived in a, in a power station would be the last drop and yet they, they had the shortest route. If you took a, a direct line from the power station to the race point, that was way offline to where they trained. What actually transpired was he learned, he, he thought about it and said, well, where should these pigeons be coming? And he started to train them on that line. He spent a lot of mileage driving all the back roads, selecting the, the place to fly, and he tossed them. In his first year, he was extremely successful. He won half a dozen races, uh, and no one in that club had ever won a race that I know of. And that was simply because he got the bird to fly on the right, on the right line. And uh, it's something, I think, a lesson to be learned from that. Now, how do we teach pigeons to do that? Apart from just tossing them on the right place, rather get them, the birds to learn to fly in small groups or in singles if you can. You know, when we train pigeons at Victoria Falls, we... We train them in, in one basket at a time or one row of basket to try and reduce the numbers so that they're actually having to think for themselves rather than just go with the mass. You know, it is two reasons. One, to teach them to do that. And the second reason is to, to try and avoid any catastrophic event where the whole lot end up going the wrong way and you end up with pigeon flying for hours and then turning around and saying, well, hang on, this is not the right place. So you have, you have big losses. So you, you won't have big losses if you have small groups. You might lose one group, but you're not going to lose all the birds. So that's something uh, to remember. If you can toss them in small groups, it's a good idea. And the other thing is, of course, if you have a friend that's living away from you a bit, and you can get together and you toss one of their birds or one of your birds, they will learn to actually split and break. The birds, being gregarious, they, they, there's safety in numbers. They don't want to fly by themselves. It takes quite a lot of courage for that pigeon to, to come away and, and go by itself. It's got to have the will to, to go home. It's got, to, it's got to be motivated to do that. And it has to be a good pigeon. It's got to know where it's going. You can teach them that. It, it takes a little bit of extra work, but it, it can be taught. And the thing, of course, that the one thing that, with that from my experience, I've, I've known or, or realized or seen, if you get a bird that's going the wrong route, you can break them of that. Don't just think it's a, a lost cause and you, you say, well, hang on, I, you know, this bird's spoiled. I'll always do that. It won't always do that if you, if you start from scratch. Go to a short point, 
on the right line and toss it a few times till eventually it coming straight and then gradually increase from there. They will, they will forget about the old route and they will come on the new one. One thing that evolves from, from this kind of training is that you, you're developing a homing pigeon, not necessarily a racing pigeon. One must realize that if, you, if you're tossing birds in small groups and in different directions, 360 type training, the birds will learn to come home. And mostly don't, don't get lost that easily. But in a tramline type racing, you, the birds will fly faster. They will be a get up and go and they'll race hard. So there is a bit of a drawback to it. But in a one loft, you need a pigeon that can get out of trouble. You don't need a pigeon that fly in a tramline type race. If he goes off course or there's hawk attacks or whatever might happen, you need a pigeon that can work it out and get back. If you've got pigeons, particularly young birds, that get uh, scattered because of peregrine uh, attack or whatever, they panic and they, they fly in every direction and they might fly for hours in the wrong direction. Now, if he hasn't had the right grounding, that bird will probably never get back or could not get back. So. You got to bear that in mind as well. So it's a mix up, a mix of it as well. So you need to do a bit of this training, like I've suggested, and then do your your team training as well, where it's a full basket and online, and you let them all go together. It's not just all single tosses. That's what we found. And you know, at any time, if anyone wants to email with a question, please feel free to contact Victoria Falls info, and we will always respond to what queries you have. So that's all we have for today. And thank you for joining us. And until next time, bye-bye. Please visit our website at www.victoriafallswcpr.com to learn more about how to enter the Victoria Falls World Talent Pigeon Race. And remember to follow our social channels to stay up to date on this exciting world-class event. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram Victoria Falls WCPR. Thank you for listening and bye for now.